The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus put a parable before the crowds. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was asleep, his enemy came, sowed darnel among the wheat, and made off. When the new wheat sprouted and ripened, the darnel appeared as well. The owner's servants went to him and said, Sir, was it not good seed that you sowed in your field? If so, where does this darnel come from? Some enemy has done this, he answered. And the servant said, Do you want us to go and weed it out? But he said, No, because when you weed out the darnel, you might pull up the wheat with it. Let them both grow till the harvest. And at harvest time, I shall say to the reapers, first collect the darnel and tie it in bundles to be burnt. Then gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the biggest shrub of all and becomes the tree and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and shelter in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast of a woman. A yeast a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour till it was leavened all through. In all this, Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he would never speak to them except in parables. This was to fulfill the prophecy, I will speak to you in parables and expound things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then, leaving the crowds, he went to the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain the parable about the darnel and the field to us. He said in reply, The sower of the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed is the subjects of the kingdom. The darnel, the subjects of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them, the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. Well then, just as the darnel is gathered up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of time. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that provoke offense, and all who do evil, and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Then the virtuous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Listen, anyone who has ears. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus says, listen, anyone who has ears, and that's all of us. But he did share this with a select crowd, which means there's a reason why Jesus didn't just broadcast this to all of the farmers and children and widows and, uh, you know, crippled people and, and whatever else, because maybe the message wouldn't have been very clear to the whole crowd. Um, it's one of the reasons why we have what's called an apostolic faith. We're standing in this heritage that God has established. Christ has gathered a people, um, and, and the people need shepherds, you know? Uh, so we have shepherds. I wanted to talk about something a bit, a bit strange, really. It's, it's about our experiences growing up. Um, who, who here, maybe in their youth, maybe you still do it, but, but who in their youth played a sport? Did anyone play a, a sport of any kind? What did you play? 
Footy. Footy? And basketball. And basketball. Netball. Netball. Golf. Basketball. Tennis. Basketball, tennis. Fantastic. Okay. Your coach, how did they train you? Like, um, did they just let you come up with whatever you wanted to do? Or, or was it pretty rigorous? You know, it was kind of hard, right? Uh, if they were a good coach, they knew your limit and they'd sort of train you just above your limit so that you're really being exerted. They wouldn't put it too high, but they wouldn't just, it's not playtime, you know, it's time to hone some skills. Okay, um, everyone here has been through school. Your, your best teachers in retrospect, not your favorite teachers at the time, because our favorite teacher at the time was the goofy guy who used to just joke and easily go off topic and we'd, we'd waste time with him or her. But your best teachers in retrospect, they would have had a kind of balance between being pretty down the middle of the road, they knew what they had to teach and they kept you on task, they knew what you were capable of and they raised the bar, but they had a certain gentleness and leniency which was reasonable, you know? Not too easy, not too harsh, a good teacher. Um, I think just about all of us here are parents except for me. When you are raising your children, um, they're not your best friend, but neither are you their servant, <laughs> neither are they your servant. There's a, there's a dynamic where you're trying to call them to their best, isn't it? Which, which is a hard and a soft act. This is how God, obviously, raises us because this is how we grow. Um, God does this strange thing. And it, really it's not strange, but we think it's strange. But when you think about it, it only makes sense. God sort of calls us and then puts certain resistances there so that to respond to the call, we've got to actually exert a bit of muscle. It's interesting, isn't it? This is part of what's at the core, I think, of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. God is good. Everything God did and does is good. That's why the people in the vineyard are like, well, where did this darnel come from? That's not something you would sow. And the sower says, that's right, I did not sow that. But neither am I ignorant about how it got there. And neither am I unable to use the darnel for my own purposes. In other words, the enemy, whatever purposes he has, God actually incorporates that into God's plan. We say that God has what's called a permissive will. Um, this is a bit of a philosophical thing, but... but God has an active and a permissive will, just like all of us have an active and a permissive will. God's active will is good. God's permissive will works with what's actually there, which is not always purely good. We are prime examples. <laughs> We're all mixtures of all sorts of stuff. And God, uh, in his providence, desires to collaborate with us, which means he's got to permit certain things to just run their course. Um, I've given the analogy before about um, a parent who knows that their child is sneaking out at night, okay? Uh, now the parent can double down and say, we're putting a padlock on the door and your curfew is now two hours earlier and you're going to learn. But that probably wouldn't be the line that most parents take. They'll monitor and they'll watch and they'll say, yeah, I know little Susie's sneaking out, but I know where she is and, um, you know, maybe she'll... Maybe she will learn a thing or two in this, in this time of her life. I'm close by if things do go wrong, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch from the sideline. This is a, a, it's a leniency 
but you know the parents not being the parents not a dupe either. The parent is very aware of what's going on. Okay, so so this is the kind of dynamic that's happening here. Um, now I want to talk about the awkwardness that God would do that with this thing that we call sin. You know, like fair enough if I go to the gym and the resistance is a is a dumbbell, but the resistance in our life is sin, and you think that's the most anti-God thing that there is. Why would God use that for his purposes? And it's a mystery, you know. This might sound like a silly thing to ask, but I'm going to ask it because I've been listening to people who are Christians, they profess to be Christians, but evidently they do not believe in sin. They think that sin is a kind of guilt trip that puts us in a, in a place of need. It's almost like an abusive tactic. Oh, yeah. Convince everyone that their sin is in need of help, and then God is the, <laughs> the magic solution to the problem that we invented. This is, this is very manipulative, I think. Um, and if it's innocent, then it's just very mistaken. But the question is, do we believe in sin? Is sin a thing that exists? Um, and if we do, one, what is it? Two, is it a threat? And three, okay, then how is that threat mitigated or, or, or how is it solved in the end? Don't mind me speaking on your behalf, but since we've already entered the Mass as we have and you've uh, said, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, I'm assuming everyone here is willing to concede <laughs> that there is something in the world called sin. Um, good. Uh, what is that? Well, let's say it's um, the brokenness of stuff. Think of your most precious um, possessions. You know, those really, really precious, um, delicate things that you own. I've sort of given away my own punchline there, but the, 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 our most precious things are not like blocks of granite. They're usually pretty intricate, made of a pretty fragile material. Um, we usually have to sort of keep them somewhere safe and not act silly around them lest we damage them. That's how we treat our precious things. Do you think you are precious to God? Yes, infinitely. Therefore, God doesn't make you out of a block of granite, sadly. It might be good if he did, but he didn't. He made you out of this frail, frail thing that is your humanity. And it breaks and chips and uh, bends and warps in all sorts of ways all the time, literally all the time. And we carry that with us. Um, sin is perpetually sort of weighing down on the fragileness of what we are. Uh, the word sin, it comes from the Latin sine, which means without. I was talking to Father Noel Milner, he's a retired priest in Yapoon, and he was saying the word sincerity is, is a beautifully sort of... Um, it's almost like a parable in itself because it means without wax. In the, um, in the East, when they were selling these sculptures, they'd be a bit devious. You know, they'd be the broken sculptures and they'd sew it together with wax and they'd keep it in the dark room. And then you'd come and you'd look and you'd say, well, that one looks nice and you'd buy it. And then when you took it out into the sun, the wax melted and it fell apart. <laughs> it, had no sin it had no sincerity to it, right? Um, so, the, so the sincere sculpture would be one without wax. It could actually hold its integrity in the sun. Well, as, as much as this might hurt our pride, we are not always fully sincere. 
Um, in fact, we even deceive ourselves quite often. Uh, in the sun, all sorts of blemishes start to become evident to us, which is why we might prefer the shade. Think of John's Gospel. The light came into the world and they went <laughs> and hid in the darkness because the light made all their, all their brokenness very um, clear to them and it was, it was too confronting. <clears throat> God creates us with this gap because none of us is meant to be self-sufficient. We come as community and we come to our God who wants relationship with us. You will never be fulfilled on your own. Um, this idea that, oh, you've got everything you need inside you and you just do what you want. <laughs> sin. <laughs> That's what that is. That's sin. Uh, it's, it's not going to end very well. No, actually, you are created for relationship. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to that relationship that you've been called to with each other and with God. Um, Adam is all alone in the universe and he sees every single thing, which is all good, by the way. And then God looks at him and says, hmm, it's not good that man would be alone. He actually needs relationship here to, to be fulfilled. Okay, okay. So all of that is part of the mystery of sin. Therefore, God gives us this gap to lead us to himself. Our hunger helps us go and find food. Our thirst helps us go and quench our thirst. Uh, our loneliness helps us go and find camaraderie and fellowship. Our sinfulness, our, our insufficiency within ourselves is this plaguing, ringing gong that says, you belong somewhere else. Go look him, you know, go and find your home, which is the Father's heart. When we do come to our God, which, which we are constantly doing, you know, we're constantly arriving in his embrace and he's constantly drawing us to himself. God himself will be the one to separate weed from wheat. God is the one who in the spiritual economy, by his grace, with his angels, with his saints, etc., will refine us in the end. Sometimes we get a bit anxious. We see that and we think, oh, crud, am I the wheat or am I the weed? Don't, don't, don't leave it at that level because in you is a mixture of both. You make your journey. Uh, we all make our journey together. And God, in the end, will embrace us. He will gather all that is good, all that is um, essential to who we are, and everything that is inessential, namely our sin, will be blown out like chaff in the breeze.